business as unusual. It's not business as usual. And so I think just getting sales teams to sort of, let's get rid of the canned pitch and let's go in and do a better job of discovery. Even if it's a customer that we've had for 10 years, we can't take anything for granted anymore. Let's make sure we're going in and doing a proper assessment, a proper job of discovery to truly understand what is the landscape right now and to identify where the real opportunities are. Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hello there. You are listening to Revenue Insights. Today, my guest is Adrian Davis, president and CEO of Whetstone. Adrian has worked as a trusted advisor with 3M, John Deere, Merck, Johnson Johnson, Sewers Water, and plenty of other leading brands. Adrian, it's a pleasure to chat. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Lee. No problem. I will start where I always love to start. Can you tell us a little more about your story and how you got to where you are today? All right. Well, so I'll, I'll give you the brief version since we don't have all day. But just to be very transparent, I had a troubled teenagehood and basically ended up dropping out of school and going nowhere. It took me a couple of years to figure out that wasn't such a good idea and started to turn my life around. And that, in the process, I discovered sale. And Lee, I just loved it. It was like a duck to water. I had this moment of just absolute clarity. I want to be a professional salesperson, which I think is unusual. Most people discover sales as plan B. They do something else and they fall into sales. Sales was plan A for me. And it was just phenomenal. I loved the autonomy. I loved the impact that I was able to have, the value that I was able to create for others. And I was just really committed to figuring it out because I knew it was going to be my career. I really took a disciplined approach to learning what I could about it and just learning how to improve. And that just really set me up, I think, for a very fulfilling career. And uh, about 22 years ago, I started Whetstone just to help others be much more effective in sales. And can you shed a little bit more on the work that you've done with Whetstone? I know I mentioned some of the kind of clients that you've worked with, but just for kind of context for everyone listening in terms of how you help businesses to be more effective. Yeah, very, very good. Our focus is really on strategic selling and strategic account management. So it has to do with companies wanting to acquire more strategic customers, customers that are really going to help them grow, not just profitably, but strategically, acquiring more of those. But also once you have them, how to actually identify who truly is a strategic customer and put in place processes and approaches to build a mutually profitable relationship with these most important customers. So we've started to get a good picture of your experience there. And I perhaps then want to start with, particularly over the past 12 months or so, in your experience, what would you say the landscape is currently like for revenue teams? And I ask that through the lens of clients that you work with 
how would you comment on kind of the state of play for them at the moment, given the current market? I think it's a fantastic question, Lee. So we, we've come through the pandemic, and I think everybody got a jolt going through that. doesn't matter, even if you did extremely well, and many of my clients did extremely well through that, it really changed the dynamic of how we engage customers. And so there's a lot of chaos and turmoil coming through that. I think we're on the other side of it. But the chaos and the turmoil for our customers and our customers' customers hasn't disappeared. There's always something. And I think those companies that have business empathy, that they're able to get out of their own head and focus on their customers and the emerging challenges that their customers are facing, and to be able to spot emerging opportunities with these customers and align with those, these are the customers that I'm seeing and working with that are doing extremely well. And they're excited by, I won't say excited by the turmoil, but excited by the new opportunities that they're able to spot and work on with their customers. In a nutshell, I would say there's a lot more instability in the marketplace than there used to be. And that spells opportunity for those who are able to empathize with their customers and work with them in navigating this instability. I love that. And I do want to touch on the opportunities. But first, I actually just want to highlight when you talk about instability, in your experience, what are the challenges that that teams are facing at the minute? So on a couple of fronts here, one is just externally with the customer that many sales teams, sales professionals are showing up business as usual when it's business as unusual, it's not business as usual. And so I think just getting sales teams to sort of, let's get rid of the canned pitch and let's go in and do a better job of discovery. Even if it's a customer that we've had for 10 years, we can't take anything for granted anymore. Let's make sure we're going in and doing a proper assessment, a proper job of discovery to truly understand what is the landscape right now and to identify where the real opportunities are. So that's on the external side. On the internal side, I think there are, especially with larger companies, there's a lot of challenge around alignment. So how do we make sure that as a multifunctional team, that we're able to come together around a singular strategic purpose to really drive meaningful outcomes for our customer and not be caught up in the weeds and caught up in internal conflict to the detriment of the customer. So I think let's not take our customers for granted. And then when we truly understand what's important for the customer and what the customer needs to be working on, let's get our house in order so that we really are focusing on delivering customer outcomes. Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top-performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go-to-market teams. Every week, we speak to the brightest minds, and every quarter, we release the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. In the work that you do, how do you approach putting the customer first in that situation? So we've leveraged 
a framework called the hero's journey. And I want to differentiate that we didn't develop it. It's actually a, a deep psychological archetype that we all have. And what we've been able to do is, do is tap into that and use it as the foundation for customer engagement. And the fundamental shift here is most salespeople, we see ourselves as mini saviors, right? We want to get in, understand the problem and save the day. And what we end up doing is inserting ourselves as the hero in somebody else's movie when that is really short-sighted. What we want to do is understand the movie, understand the plot line of the movie, and understand why the hero is suffering and not able to fulfill their heroic role in their movie. So we want to come in as the special resource, the mentor that can help equip them to navigate their plot line and be successful. So we use that as a fundamental sort of psychological framework that everybody understands. Everybody can sort of experience that, aha, like, wow, I've been trying to be the hero. I shouldn't be doing that. I should understand the customer's plot line and participate in their movie. So that's the fundamental psychological shift that we focus on. And then there are a number of skills and competencies and behaviors that we need to build out around that. And that's what we focus on is developing curriculum or tailoring curriculum to make sure that we're building the proper skill set in the sales professionals and their supporting teams to really operate in this new world of sales, which as I said at the outset, the, there's a lot more instability in the marketplace. And as long as we're focused on ourselves, we're missing opportunities all around us. If we can shift that perspective and focus on the customer, we're going to see tons of opportunity. And so it's just a matter of skill building so that teams understand how to really leverage and pursue those opportunities. Great. And that was exactly where I was kind of thinking would be really interesting because when you talk about making the customer a hero or the hero and approaching it in that way, I think myself and I'm sure everyone listening will come at it from the perspective of absolutely that makes sense and that then leads on to the question then of well how do I do that and probably for a lot of folks listening they'll be living and breathing that instability right now as they listen to it perhaps it'll be the start of a new financial year for some you know the end for others and there will be like growing pressure on them in terms of okay I've got a target to hit and that's while um, from the outset Putting the customer first and foremost can be, well, that just makes a lot of sense, but how do I go about doing that? And it's not necessarily a quick fix that I can apply. And forgive me, because that's my opinion, and feel free to correct me on that. But for anyone listening, how exactly would you go about starting to implement that? And perhaps could you share a few examples or practical examples of how you could start to apply it? First of all, I love that you said there's this sort of common sense, like, of course, yeah, I agree. And uh, sales teams that we train, that, that's the beauty of it. They all start out agreeing. But as we go through the training and the coaching and the development, what they find is they agree conceptually or academically, but in the heat of the battle, in the heat of the moment, they default back to inserting themselves as the main character of the story. And so when they see that, wow, this is my default psychological perspective, that's where the work really needs to be done. So first of all, I just want to make that point. Even though this sounds really simple and common sense, it's actually hard to do. So secondly, 
in terms of actually implementing it, a lot of it really begins with discovery, Lee. And we provide a canvas that enables them to do that discovery in a more methodical way. And it begins with, number one, identifying who is the hero. Now, the, the level of sales that we tend to work with are complex, high-stakes sales. So these are significant-sized deals with multiple stakeholders. And the truth of the matter is everybody's a hero in their own movie. But from an enterprise selling perspective, we need to know who is the main character. And we really need to identify that. Typically, if it's a very technical sale, technical people like to talk to technical people. And so they have a lot of traction and momentum with a stakeholder or a few stakeholders. But when we really do the analysis, those stakeholders are not the real decision makers. And so we need them to step back and do a very competent and clear assessment of who is the hero. And we tend to focus on what we call the economic stakeholder. And we focus on the economic stakeholder for two reasons. Number one, obviously, that they drive the budget. They have control of the budget. So we're looking for somebody who was not anticipating to spend money on your solution. But now that you're in front of them with a solution, they've got to find that money. And usually it's a significant amount of money. So who has the authority to move money around? What we don't want to hear is, we can't fit this into our budget. If somebody says that, we're not talking to the right person. So we want to make sure we're talking to somebody who says like, wow, we were not anticipating to spend this money, but I will find the money. So who has control over budget can move money around? Second attribute of the real hero of the story is the reason they have control over budget and other resources is because the organization has entrusted them with strategic goals. They are on the hook to deliver strategic goals to the organization. And so this is what we're looking for in terms of who is the hero. They have strategic objectives that they are on the hook to deliver. And because of that, they have control over financial and other resources. That's the main character. So the first part of discovery is finding out who they really are and then understanding what their strategic goals are. And there's a whole level of training around just understanding the power of goals, strategic, professional, as well as personal goals and the emotional impact and emotional intelligence surrounding that. So that's really step one. From there, and this is a real eye-opener for salespeople, the next thing they must understand is not the pains that they're going to go in and solve. And that's usually the default mode of the salesperson. Go in and find pain, right? What keeps you up at night? That's not where to start. If you want to make big strategic sales at a good margin, the next thing you need to find in terms of understanding the plot line of the hero's journey is what are the external forces or pressures or what we call villains? Who are the villains or what are the villains in the plot line? And villains have two characteristics. Number one, they are antagonistic to the hero or the protagonist's goals. Whatever those strategic goals are, the first attribute of a villain is they're going to put those goals in jeopardy. And that's really critical. The second attribute of villains is they are completely outside of the control of the hero. There's nothing the hero can do to manage these external forces. They're just closing in. 
And what that does, it doesn't matter how competent or powerful the hero is, they are vulnerable in the face of these external threats. And that is a real critical understanding for the sales professional to have, to be able to book appointments based on their understanding of these villains, and to be able to contextualize the hero's situation with these forces that are closing in and the sense that the hero has no control over them. This completely changes the dynamic of the conversation. The next piece in the discovery is what we call the hero's flaw, or what the typical salespeople would say, the pains. But in particular, what we're looking for here are those things that will cause the hero to fail in the achievement of their strategic goal if they are not addressed. And these are things that the hero actually does have control over. They typically manifest themselves in terms of processes or workflow and or infrastructure. But they are underpinned by a set of beliefs that we call the status quo. And that is the salesperson's biggest competitor, the status quo. And the old saying that people will not change unless the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. And so there's a lot of work that has to be done here to ensure that the status quo is actually painful or even devastating, catastrophic, and that the hero is highly motivated to move the organization out of the status quo. The next piece then is understanding what is your particular solution. We call this the special resource. And how can you differentiate it? How can you make it unique? How do you make it compelling? In order to bring the hero out of what's called the pit of despair, which is the suffering, the consequences of inaction, and bring them into the new world where they are successful, they've managed to transform their organization to perform at a higher level. So this is the sort of the high level or very summarized plot line, but getting sales professionals and sales teams to think like this, to understand the story, and then to be able to story tell. So that's sort of story listening, but also storytelling. And it's just such a powerful way to galvanize a team, to unify a team, to rid the team of internal dysfunction, but also to have real strategic impact on your customer. Beautifully, I would say summarized, but I feel like I've got a really good sense actually of how you approach that. And I was taking note of a few different things as you talked that I kind of want to, that I would like to dig into a bit more. The first was, and this goes way back to when actually you first started talking, you talked about identifying the economic stakeholder. I was actually just curious how you go about identifying who that stakeholder is. Is that through, for example, is that going through like all of their calls to go and understand it? You know, I come at it from a data perspective, so I'd be looking at it correlation of stakeholders to win rates, for example. But I'm very curious to know in, in your approach how you identify who that stakeholder is. It's a great question. If it's a large organization, a publicly traded organization, then they're pretty easy to identify. And it also depends on what you're selling. But they're pretty easy to identify in terms of a, a public corporation. If it's private, it's a little bit more difficult. Again, it depends on what you're selling. So let's say for my solution, it, it might not be the CEO of a multi-billion dollar corporation. I may never get an audience with the chief executive of a multi-billion dollar corporation. Maybe it's another C-level executive. Maybe it's a D-level executive. Maybe it's a plant manager. So you've got to understand what is it you are selling? What's the value of your solution? 
And who is the appropriate level executive or manager that can authorize that type of funding? So that's number one. Like we need to be realistic. No point in me trying to chase the chief executive for a half a million dollar project when that is just petty cash to them. Whereas somebody who maybe is responsible for a division, they, they have the funding for that. So what are you selling? What's the value of what you're selling? What's the nature of what you're selling? And who is the appropriate manager or executive to approve that? If it is not clear, immediately visible, if the economic buyer is not immediately visible, we need to start with what I call the inside outsider. The inside outsider is a special stakeholder in that they're inside the organization, but they've broken out of the status quo. They tend to see ahead of others in the organization the danger of the status quo. And they see that unless the organization changes, the organization is going to get in trouble. And typically, they're experiencing the pain of the external forces before others. So for the problem you're trying to solve, who is likely to experience that pain first and foremost? And you want to go to them and you want to basically empathize with them and get them to see that one, you understand the pain that they're facing and the future implications of this pain. And two, you really are the best resource to enable the organization to emerge from this pain or to avoid this pain. The inside outsider is the champion of change internally. And you want to basically recruit them so that they understand that, yes, we need to change, but we need to change with your solution. Once you've got them, you develop them into a coach. And what they will do is not only identify the economic stakeholder for you, they will also identify other change agents within the organization, as well as how change takes place in the organization. And I think this is something, Lee, that we really need to be sensitive to. That number one, our change is not the only change that the organization is contemplating. And number two, the organization has suffered from previous change efforts. And so there's a good dose of cynicism that lives within the organization. And these internal change agents understand all of that. And they will actually help you to navigate that, what to say, what not to say, who to meet with, who not to meet with, or when to meet with certain stakeholders and when to meet with others. And they're going to be a great source of intelligence, but also at helping you identify who really is the economic stakeholder and how does your solution need to be crafted in a way that's going to be appealing to that stakeholder? I really, really like your approach to, I mean, I was writing it down like quite simply as like almost multi-threading in a way, but leveraging your inside out your kind of individual into really like digging into the account from that point. And going back to something that which stands out to me and I appreciate, particularly when you are working with sellers who are selling into enterprise size organizations, every account that they're going to be working is unique. And so the hierarchy, the pains that they have, all of it is going to be completely unique, which presents a challenge in itself because you are, I would imagine, ultimately building a strategy and helping to build a strategy and to coach these reps to be able to sell into what is something that is ultimately fairly unique. Although each account is unique, professional sellers don't see it that way. They'll walk into an account, a fairly complex account, and the moment the 
stakeholder starts to articulate the symptoms that they're facing, there's this sort of pattern recognition that takes place within the sales professional who immediately sees and understands really the problem because it's the first time that this organization is facing it. It's the umpteenth time that the sales professional has seen it and solved it. So they hardly articulate their challenge and the salesperson is rushing to solution. They say, well, here's how we can solve this. So it's not unique in the sense that at a fundamental level, these are the problems that we solve. And we've been around the block a thousand times. We've seen this a thousand times. We recognize the pattern and we can therefore go straight to the solution, which we want to do as saviors and to make people feel good when really, to your point, Lee, that the uniqueness is not so much in the problem, but in the complexities of the organization. And we're going to win the confidence of the inside outsider if we can demonstrate our sensitivity to these nuances. And if we can hold our fire and actually craft a better, more compelling solution than our default solutions. It was such a powerful point around the uniqueness, which you're absolutely right, that sellers typically overlook. I love it. And actually, everything you've just said there is the perfect tee up for what the question was anyway, because what I was going to ask was, how do you go about ensuring consistency in that discovery process? And much to the point that you were making where, yes, in a sense, they are unique, but to a professional seller or to the eyes of a professional seller, I love the pattern recognition example where it's like, ah, yes, the hierarchy is slightly different, but I've seen this all before. And actually, it's just a case of telephone exchange where I just need to reconnect these bits here and actually I get a clearer sense. But I come at this from the perspective of how do we build process and structure and consistency on that framework that we're using? And so I'm very curious in your work, about how you build that consistency and ensure the discovery is being done consistently. It's a wonderful question. It's a wonderful question in terms of making sure we're able to manage the team but also making sure we can actually scale our success. And so I think number one is to be very clear about what our sales process looks like and to also ensure that our sales process is not self-serving. It's not a sales process for us to hit quota. It's not a sales process for us to hit our revenue targets. The sales process actually exists in order to facilitate the buying process. So it really begins with understanding for our target market, what does the buying process look like? Who's typically involved at what stages or phases of the buying process? What are the objectives of the buying process? And then how do we ensure that our selling process actually supports and facilitates the buying process? So whatever that selling process is, it has to begin though. Step one has to be discovery. And in that step one, in terms of creating consistency, what we like to do in our training is actually create a workbook for the sales professional. That workbook will begin with industry analysis. Do you really understand the forces at play within the industry? Do you understand the history of the industry? Do you understand why all the players of the industry will have similar objectives based on the history of the industry? And do you understand how the industry is changing? So getting, them to, so getting them to really be competent at the industry analysis and to show up with a point of view about the future of the industry that is going to be challenging and enlightening to the stakeholder they're meeting with. So that's job one in the discovery process. 
From there, we then need them to do an account analysis. So now I understand the industry. Let me make sure I understand this account first with secondary research, as much as I can gather without actually meeting with the stakeholders or from previous meetings with the stakeholders to set me up now to have the in-person part of the discovery, where now there are specific things that I can only learn through conversation. But because of the research I've done beforehand, I'm going to facilitate a very rich conversation. And I'm going to be able to pull out more information from this stakeholder than they have shared with any other of my competitors, just because of the way I've framed and set up this conversation. And so to have an actual workbook with some supporting templates so that they understand how to analyze an industry and how to analyze an account, whether private or public, and then how to craft an agenda for the actual meetings with the stakeholders. All of that will get plugged into step one of the sales process with the objective of moving the customer from step one in the buying process to the next step in the buying process. Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go-to-market teams. Every week, we speak to the brightest minds, and every quarter, we release the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. Beautiful. And this actually, from when you were describing the discovery process before, that the last thing that actually dovetails beautifully you were talking about there that I'm really intrigued by is now I imagine myself now I've gone through your process. I've got my account. I've done my research and I am diligently doing my discovery as well. And now I'm almost armed with all of this information to have a really rich conversation with the prospect, with the account. How then do you go about leveraging the insights that you've now got, both on the account, on the individual, and so on? And how do you start to roll that out through the buying process then? Really great questions, Lee. And so now, as a result of this deep insight that we've gathered, what we need to do now is understand the strategic priorities of the hero. So who is the economic stakeholder? Who's the person that can find money, move money, and fund our initiatives and our ideas? And what are their strategic objectives that we have uncovered? What are their possible personal objectives? And what are the goals of the other supporting characters? And we need to align all of that with our capabilities. What are our key capabilities, competencies that we can bring to this to solve this? And then how do we make it unique? So this is the key. How do we intersect the insights that we've gained with the capabilities that we have in such a way that nobody else can duplicate this? And this is where I like to use the filter. I call it the socket filter. It's to plug something into a socket and call, you, you're going to plug a light into a socket and it will light up. Well, we want to plug our capabilities into our customer. And that intersection of the customer's strategic nuanced needs with our nuanced capabilities that no one else can replicate, this is what we're after. 
So I call this filter the socket filter, where whatever solutions we're ideating, want to just put them through this quick test. The S stands for strategic. Are we just going in, being tactical, solving an operational issue, or are we able to attach it to the strategic objectives of the organization? Because if we can attach it to the business or strategic objectives, that's how it gets funding. It's, it's when companies are looking at their funding and saying, you know what, we can't afford to do everything. We can only do these three things. We want to be attached to those three things that they will find funding for. The O stands for over time. We want to make sure that our intervention is not just one and done. We want to intervene in such a way that we want to be real about change, big impact, but it takes time. So we're looking for an engagement that's going to be two, three, five years, not just one year. We're going to do something in year one, but it's part of a roadmap. So we want to sell roadmaps, not discrete solutions. The C stands for combined capabilities, where this is where we can make our solution unique, that we've got competitors, we all generally do the same thing, but every organization has other competencies and capabilities that their competitors don't have, maybe even partners. So how do we configure a solution that our competitors cannot duplicate? K stands for KPIs. How do we ensure that our intervention is going to move the needle in those areas where it really matters? And the customer is going to see, wow, this is going to have a measurable impact on something that's strategically significant to us. The E stands for embedded. We want to make sure that this solution that we offer, we need to figure out how can it become embedded in how our customer creates value for their customers. How does it get embedded in their operations so that we really set a high bar in terms of switching costs? And it's not easy for them to bring in competition. And then finally, the T stands for transformative. Again, if we're thinking of the hero's journey, we want to see at the end of our intervention that the organization is transformed. There's a way that they used to do business before we showed up. And now as a result of our intervention and embedding our capabilities into their operations, they are transformed and they're able to compete and grow in the marketplace in a whole new way. So that's, I just call that the socket filter. And we want to make sure we're bringing real solutions that can really plug in and light up our customer. I really, really love that. Adrian, I want to ask one final question. I'm trying to think of a really good segue of how I get from socket to this, but I think I'm going to butcher it. But what would one book be that you recommend to other revenue leaders? It's really around story. And I've written a book on story. I don't want to be self-serving and just promote my book. But I just want to quickly go on. It's a book that really impacted me. And it's called Wired for Story. I think it's Lisa Cron. I just want to make sure I get the author right. I know it's called, yeah, Lisa Cron. I was, I was close. C-R-O-N. The book is called Wired for Story. And when I read this book, it really had a big impact on me. Just understanding the sort of fundamental ways we are, as human beings, are wired to tell stories, to listen to stories. And it had a big impact on me writing my book, which is Heroes, Villains, and the Thrill of Professional Selling, where I take this whole concept of story and break it down for professional sellers and how this is our secret weapon. This is our magic wand to understand the power of story. And the best salespeople, just intuitively by nature, are great storytellers. That's one thing we noticed, that the top performing salespeople, they tell stories. But generally when I trained them, they didn't realize there's an actual structure to this. There's a science behind this. 
And there's also part of it is not just telling stories, it's listening and discovering the stories so that when we tell our stories, they actually fit. But I would say Lisa Cron, her book, Wired for Story, had a big impact on me. And then obviously for professional sellers in particular, I would recommend my book, Heroes, Villains, and the Thrill of Professional Selling. And it goes into all these things that we've been talking in more detail. Beautiful. I'll make sure that we include a couple of links to those down below. I'll allow that, that self-promotion there on this occasion, Adrian. All right, Adrian, it's been an absolute pleasure. One final thing, for anyone that has perhaps been listening and maybe has some questions or wants to pick your brain, where can they find you? Best thing would be just go to my website, adriandavis.com, A-D-R-I-A-N-D-A-V-I-S.com, and there's a contact us form right there. Awesome. I'll make sure that we include that in the links with the show notes. All right. As I say, Adrian, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure chatting today. It's been my pleasure. Great conversation with you, Lee. Likewise. And for everyone that has listened this week, we'll thank you so much. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.